So this is a question which I received from a yid in Paris. He just recently bought a new pair of tefillin and it's got a, a we have the two tefillin, the hand tefillin and the head tefillin. The hand tefillin, I'm saying this in details because I know there are also Noshim Kitonia if you're following and uh, so I'm explaining the detail. The hand tefillin are worn obviously on the upper arm and there is the uh, the tefillin have to be cube, have to be square, and um, usually they come with this plastic cover, which you can see here. Now, that's kind of to protect the tefillin that they shouldn't get damaged and the uh, the rubbing of the the, the sleeves, etc. It happened to be that this was very very stuck. He couldn't remove it, and even when he took it to a, a cipher. He also found it difficult to remove, unable, was unable to remove it. So he asked me whether it's okay to wear the film as they are, or they have to persevere and remove that, uh, remove that cover. So there is in the Gemara, it uh, talks about if the film were coated, if the film were coated with gold or um, with a skin of a non-kosher animal. And that, that would make the film invalid. There's two ways of learning the Pshat Siponzov. Does it mean that the actual box was made of gold? Or does it mean that the box was made of leather like normal? But then it was covered with gold. There's two ways of learning Pshat in the Gemara. And the Poyal, the Alochi is that even the um, Siponzov with covering a layer of gold on top of it would, would, would invalidate this film. The fact that the plastic is so stuck that it cannot be removed, that raises the question of Tsipon Zohov, of, of it being covered with another material which would invalidate the film. So I said that he should not use those film until the plastic is removed. Meanwhile, as I'm looking into it, I'm wondering why is it then, though, the minhag is, the way I was brought up, well, I was taught by my father, Rosholem, when you put on tefillin, you take off the cover of the shaliyat, and then you uh, make the brocha, and you put on your tefillin, and then once you're finished, then you put the, the um, cover back on. So I was trying to look a little bit more about this. So here we have a letter of the Rebbe. This is the letter, um, this is to, I think it's to Reborach Paris, the father of our a resident of Levi Paris. So I'm reading here from the text. The fact that you write about is it appropriate to have a, a cover on the tefillin, on the hand tefillin, to protect the corners. Now I must confess that until now I did not know that there are uh, those who op uh, object, and you take a look at the Sefer Piskei Chuvas, and he has a whole list of Poskim who object to the wearing of such a cover because of the idea of Tsiponzov. It's a cover of an, an extra body, and it's an obstruction. But he also brings a list of Poskim who say it is okay. Fine. So that's, I didn't realize such that it was the Chiddush. The Rebbe writes to Rebbe Paris, Indeed, I do so, so myself. Now, that's the Rebbe's writing this letter, referring to this corner over here, 
which is cut out. And that is because the Zoyar is very emphatic that the yud of the Tzulim, which is this part of the knot, the top part of the knot of the Tzulim, should not um, go, should not be uh, separated from the box of the Tzulim. And therefore, even though you're wearing that cover to protect the Tzulim, but the corner there is cut out, so that the yud should not veer away from the box. The in some in the Ashkenaz Tzulim, I've seen sometimes actually the sofa even will sew it with a with a piece of uh, sinew to hold it together. But there is this emphasis in the Zoya that you shouldn't budge away. Mat in the Divay has Zoya Kodesh, in corresponding to the words of the Zoya, it says that the youth shouldn't, shouldn't budge. Then, fascinating how the Rebbe describes something of the Fredika Rebbe, and it's interesting, let's see the next couple of lines. But the Tzulim of my father-in-law, his filling box, you know, years ago, the filling boxes were just the top. They weren't all the way around the bottom piece. They were just like a straight box on top. It's better for me to wear the shalrosh. Okay. Uh, can you hear me better now? Yes, much better. Thank you. Okay. So, um, so he writes that the filling of my the Rebbe de Shver, that red box probably, which they used to have, is Bishleimusu. Which from this I understand that he didn't wear the box on his filling throughout the davening. So for sure, the Rebbe Rashab also did not wear the box during Davni. So this is very interesting how instead of the Rebbe saying, you know, I look at the way the Rebbe wore the tefillin and he did not wear the box. He doesn't say that. He says, I saw how his cover is. I didn't peep. I didn't, how do you say, uh, pry to see how, what he does under his sleeve. I just see that his box is, 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 is in, in the no corners cut. So it must be that he's... He, he doesn't wear it during davening. So meanwhile, here we have that the Rebbe is saying that the Fredrik Rebbe and the Rebbe Rashab did not wear the shadel during davening. And now I've told you that there are poskim who actually take exception to doing so. But the Rebbe says himself, he does wear it. I want to also okay. share with you another Excuse interesting me. thing. Just, just, why is there a hole in the top? Just a second. Um, I'll come to that. Um, so what, what I find interesting is um, that there are many Eden who pull down the sleeve over the tefillin. The Rebbe did not because he wore short sleeves. But many Eden, because there's a lotion of it should be for you. So there's two ways of learning. It means it dafka has to be private or that's allowed to be private. The Alter Rebbe says it can be private. So you're allowed to pull down the sleeve, but you don't, don't have to. Other, other, others learn it's Dafka, you should pull down the sleeve, it should be Lechol Well, I remember as a child, I remember Absadio Libarov would come to London sometimes. I remember seeing how he would pull down the sleeve between putting on the Shalyad and the Shalrosh, when you're not meant to be Mavsik, he would pull down the sleeve. And I saw now in the Seif Ashkav to the Rebbe, and that the Rebbe Rashab was also not like that. He pulled down the sleeve um, between the Shiyad and Shirosh. That's how important they would see the idea of pulling down, of covering the tefillin. 
at any rate, um, but whatever, as we say, we did, we did not. The hole at the top is to be able to, to be able to touch. To be able to touch the tefillin when you touch it by Pesach Yodecho or in, in six or seven times during davening when you touch the tefillin. So that's what is there for. Now, there's also, I remember Rabbi Telsner, who was my Malamed for a year or two, but he told us that the Rebbe's tefillin shadel had several holes cut in the side, not just in the top. Um, no, I did not check it personally. But uh, that's what I heard, and I've seen others also say about doing this, that there should be kind of to diminish the amount of cover. Now, one, one more thing about this, this is Shainim in Hogim. I'm back to my question. Why is it when you, why, is, why was I taught to remove the cover of the tefillin by, during making the bracha, and then after you put in the shalrosh, then to put the cover back. So I don't have an answer, I'm, I'm going to admit. At first I thought perhaps it's out so that you should hold the, the, uh, the tefillin when you make the bracha. Now here I've got a quote from the Alter Rebbe Shechnorach, for someone in Semerei I think, Whenever you make a bracha on an article, to eat it, or to smell it, to do a mitzvah with it, you should hold it in your right hand. And I was thinking about this, perhaps it's to hold the tefillin. But then I realized the next morning when I put on my towels and tefillin, that I was, I was not holding my tefillin with my right hand. I'm holding the tefillin in my left hand. I've got the retsuot stretched in my left hand and I take my talus and I cover over my arm and I make the bracha like that. So I'm not really touching, my, my right hand is not touching the tefillin altogether. And I must say, I spent a long time trying to find any poskim should address why is it we don't hold the tefillin in the right hand when we put on tefillin. Now I'm going to say that in Nusse Minig Ashkenaz, they, when they kind of pull the tefillin with their ritzua, they probably hold the their ritzua in their right hand. So they're holding at least the ritzua in their right hand when they're making uh, the bracha. I don't know, I've never, never done it uh, myself. But in our minig, we are holding, I think, we're making, you cover, and the reason why you put the talus over is because the upper part above the elbow is more, not, it's not such a sneers dicker part, it's usually covered. So you cover it over with sneers. So then you're not holding, so you're not, you're not holding with your right hand. So, so I'm back to the question, which I don't have the answer. That's okay. Uh, I don't know the answer, but I was taught that you, when you put on the tefillin, you take off the cover. And I saw in various forum, they write this. And in Piske Chuvis, he gives a few references. And each one of them, or several, some of them at least, say that at the time of the bracha, perhaps out of respect, you want to be able to see the mitzvah. Uh, I once saw a very nice uh, thought. When we make the bracha on Leishev Basuke, so uh, many people, on, uh, mentioned in, in, in Hogim, I believe, to look up at the schach. Is it to just check that the dach is open? It doesn't always work because at night you can't see whether the dach is open or not. So I saw Reborg Oberlando, the Shliach in Budapest. So he uh, once wrote that if you can't hold the sukkah in your hand, at least you hold it with your eyes. You're, 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 you're eyeing it. You're some way, you're connecting with it. And so possibly that's the similar idea which I saw in Summers Forum, that you want at the time when you make the bracha, that the tefillin should be more exposed, but I'm still, I'm not satisfied with that. And if someone wants to share with us a better explanation, I'm happy to listen. Right. Um,
Now, right. Arya is uh, Arya Freeman, one of our resident sophrim, is pointing out that some some maintain that that which it says in the Zohar, that the Kesha should touch the tefillin, it's enough if it touches the titura. Now I'm pointing onto the picture. The titura is the the uh, the ridge which is around the, the bottom of the tefillin, and that's called the titura. And they say it's enough if it touches there, and that's. Obviously, not our minhig. We are particular that it touches the tefillin itself, and so this has uh, brought me from you know one to, one thing to another. You mentioned this. One of my peeves is when people say people that chabad wear arbal arbat fillin, which means four by four centimeters. The the mocker is of wearing, it says in, in, in the Geoinim, that the tefillin shall roish should be etzbo'ayim al etzbo'ayim. It should be two square fingers. Square fingers doesn't sound right. If you've got square fingers, you're in trouble. Um, two, I don't know how you're going to say it. Etzbo'ayim al etzbo'ayim. We'll keep to the Lashon HaKodesh. Um, so now, that, and that works out in centimeters, four, four centimeters square. The Welt, the Welt, wear smaller tefillin because they say that the four centimeters or the two fingers is including this space, the, the titura. That's why the top of the tefillin the, the, is, is smaller. That's about three centimeters. Chabad take the view that the Dalad, the Etzba'ayim the, the has to be in the Shalrosh alone. And therefore, our Shalrosh tends to be that much larger than the average um, Shalrosh, which you'll see in. Uh, in, a, in a Hamish Ashul, and just where does it come from? It comes from the Kohen Godel wearing tefillin, and it says in the Gemara about that there was a space between the tzitz, the head plate, and this and his uh, and his uh, turban in Mitznefes. There was space for the tefillin, and in Gemara it looks like there was etzbaim. So that's where the minig of so the Chabad minig is to not look at the titura as tefillin but to look at it as an accessory of the tefillin and therefore the the emphasis of the zoyar of the not touching the tefillin is not enough it touches the lower uh, the lower ridge of the tefillin it should actually touch the actual um box where the parsha is in okay let's move on to the next point before i get stuck with this squared fingers um okay someone sent me a the following question about a using tissues nothing to do with the previous um a question using such tissues on shabbos as you can see that it says in the uh, embossed letters it says andrex this is not a commercial now the question is are you allowed to use such a tissue and someone told me last that during the week that the embossed image will remain after wetting it too. So on Friday, I took a tissue, which had a toilet tissue, which had embossed roses, and I wet it. And it, the, uh, in, as they were wet, you couldn't see any roses. Then as it dried, it was a very faint image left. So what, what this, this question kind of raises is, is writing which is embossed, is that called writing? So or embossed or engraved is the same thing. So there is a discussion about biscuits 
which have writing. And it's mentioned in Simon Shin Mem that Amor says about not eating on Shabbos biscuits, which he doesn't use the word biscuits. What do you have? Um, uh, uh, whatever it is, a cracker which has writing on it. There are those poskim, and if I'm not mistaken, the Mogan Avram on the spot mentions a possibility that the writing which is referred to, that you shouldn't be eating writing on a, on a cake, is referring to icing, where it's made of a separate material which is added to the, to the cake. There used to be a minig, which is even today. Today is a minig when they are einfurnished, when a child is brought to cheder of making an icing cake, um, a, a cake with icing and with, with, with a psukim. It used to be a minig that there used to be the einfurnish of children would be on shavuos. And so then that raised the questions mentioned in late Rishonim about this question about eating and a piece of a cake which has got writing on it, um, which because you are erasing the, the writing. So the Mogadav Rom, if not mistaken, mentions that there may be a difference whether the writing is made of a different material or it's made from the part and parcel of the main, main body. The Alter Rebbe doesn't mention that distinction, and it really gives the impression that the Alter Rebbe sees um, engraved lettering just the same as, as uh, added lettering. And here we have, this is a quote from Hichas Pesach, where there, were, there used to be a minig of making matzahs on Erev Pesach, and you'd make three matzahs, and you'd make a mark on them. This is the Koyan matzah, this is the Levi matzah. In the matzah itself, they would make markings on the matzah. I don't know if anyone does that today. But meanwhile, it says in the Shechon that you should not make letters on the matzah, Koyan, Levi, Israel, because when you're going to eat the matzah, you're going to have to break it, you're going to have to eat it, and you're going to be erasing the writing. So from here we see that the Alter Rebbe takes the view that even though the lettering is part of the matzah, it would still be a problem of erasing. So, and again, on in the Shechon there is a quote from, on the margin, there's the dog on the revolver, which is Noida Behuda, who says if you put it in your mouth all at one go, then it takes off the Easter. Again, it's not so straightforward. And generally, the, I believe that today, the Minig is a Bayanash not to eat um, crackers, which have got writing on them, even though they're, they're engraved and not all in one go either, even if they're small crackers. So um, coming back to our point over here. So the writing of the on the tissue, although it's just embossed, it's not a separate material, it would still be an issue of erasing. And therefore, um, one should avoid using that. Now, um, then here, the quote which you have lower down on the on the screen is from the Sefer Shmir Shabbos Gilchasa. And he's talking about using, now, the younger generation don't know what we're talking about. And more people used to use newspaper. Um, instead of toilet paper, they used to use newspaper, cut it up and use newspaper. So it's Givorna Shaila on Shabbos, because if you're going to be using it, you're going to be erasing the writing. And that's what he's writing over here in the Shemir Shabbos Golchoso. You shouldn't use paper which has writing, even if it's Goyeshi writing or pictures, and certainly not if it's made with Hebrew writing. So taking a piece of a paper which has got writing and destroying the writing um, would be an issue of, of, of moichik, of erasing, so therefore it should not be done. Uh, so coming back to those tissues, if you've got tissues which you've got um, writing, so one should avoid using that. Now, what about the one with the roses? I'm, I'm going to have to leave that as a question for the moment, because in my re recollection, there is a difference between a picture 
on a cake and writing on a cake uh, or a biscuit. Whereas with writing, it's I'm, I'm pretty confident that you're not allowed to uh, eat that biscuit on Shabbos according to the way we know it, but there is more room to be makele with a with a picture. Now let me just so this is a funny one. You have a piece of paper, you have a piece of um, a biscuit which has got a picture of a fish on it. So we've said you shouldn't eat the biscuit, yeah. What about if the, the um, what about if the biscuit is in the shape of a fish? You know, you got these things which you put into the soup, little fish, um, um, whatever you call them. So, ah, it's, it's, it's destroying the sewer. What about eating a fish? Yeah, if you're going to make a fuss about eating things in the shape of a fish, what about eating a fish itself? You're allowed to eat a fish, yeah? And no reason worried you're demolishing the fish when you're eating a fish, yeah? Okay, let's come back to the um, this chats and before we go on to the next thing. Um, sorry. Rabbi Lu um, asked me, did I mention the Rebbe's reason for looking at the schach? No, I did not mention Rabbi Lu. mentioned the Leman Yedu. Leman Yedu Dereseichem. It's mentioned in the beginning of Shulchan Archichas um, in Sim Tofresh Chavhei that uh, one of the mitzvahs where the awareness is part of the mitzvah is Sukkah and um, Tfilin and Tzitzis. All the got to do with the Leman Tizkiru, Leman Yedu. And so the Rebbe explains that why should you look up at the Schach when you make the Brocha because of the Leman Yedu. Thank you, Rabbi Lu. It's part of the mitzvah. Right, right. That's what the Rebbe says. New pair of glasses for reading the Zoom. Bjorn Yazov is asking that Friedrich Rebbe did not wear the cover on his tefillin. He was wearing, he was wore the tefillin without a cover when he davened. And when he, ah, oh, oh, perhaps a, a valuable, valuable point. There's a discussion in Contem, in, in Pomposkim, the Bechidor, whether that which it says in the Zohar, that the Yud shouldn't be separated. Is that only whilst you're wearing the tefillin or other times also? And the Bechidor takes the view that it shouldn't, it should be left touching the whole time, even whilst it's in the bag. And obviously, from the fact that Friedrich Rebbe did not have it cut out, he obviously didn't follow the shita of the of the chidor, and it's, it's and one doesn't need to have the uh, according to our minig, which is not, not important to have the kesha touching when you're not wearing the tefillin. Let's move on to the next question. One needs to have Yeshiv Hadas. So if it's new in Yonim, I'd prefer to leave it for another time when we can read, 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 look at it more carefully. Okay, so a lot, the Shia from two weeks ago was, we mentioned about the Suvid, it was the second time it came up. And the, that Shia was put on the Anash.org. And so someone sent me the Shaila he asked me, what about one of the listeners in, in somewhere in, uh, in America? And he asked me, what about leaving food in a sous vide from Friday and to use it for Matzah Shabbos? So here you have a din in Hilchas Yom Kippur about the hatmona. Are you allowed to put food in a hatmona in an insulated position um, on Erev Yom Kippur to have food ready for Motsu Yom Kippur. So the first shita, which you have on the screen, is the shita HaMechaber, and he says, um, 
there are those who say that you shouldn't do so. So it's, I think this is the Ramon. And he says that it's, you are that the Hatamona was only allowed for to have food on Shabbos, but not it, not to do Hatamona on um, that the food should be warming on Yom Kippur because that means Yom Kippur is wait is preparing for after Yom Kippur. Others, that's the Mechaber, says you are allowed to because it's because you're doing nothing on Yom Kippur. The halacha is that you are allowed to. That one wouldn't do hatmona, which means insulating food. One would not insulate food from Friday, from Erev Yom Kippur, from Motzi Yom Kippur. That doesn't necessarily mean on Friday for Motzi Shabbos, because actually some of the poskim say the objection on Erev Yom Kippur is more out of the Kedusha um, Sayoim, it's like a, Yom Kippur is a very sacred day, and in a way that there should be food sitting there, and you, you're, you're thinking about the food on Yom Kippur, it, it's out of order. Or, or Erev Yom Kippur, that seems, there may be a certain sensitivity to Yom Kippur. That's number one. Number two, this is talking about Hatmona. And what we discussed with the sous vide is not, it's not Hatmona because everything is that transparent. And therefore, the, we, we came to the conclusion it's not called Hatmona, it's Shahia, it's leaving food. So are you allowed to leave food on a, uh, on a blech, let's say, from Erev Shabbos and you only need it Motzah Shabbos? So I was, I was uh, not so clear about this. And so then I, was, I looked into the Sefer from Rav Forkash. He's got three volumes called Shabbos Kahalocha, the Dinim of Atmon at the beginning of Chelek Base. And so he writes, uh, you have here a clear quote, Lahat bin bedovor she'enu moisif hevel, muter letzorich mitzoyah Shabbos. He writes clearly, if it's Hatmon in a permitted way, which means it's just retaining the heat and not like in a blanket, you're allowed to. If it's insulated in a way which is not allowed for Shabbos, but here you want it for Moshe Shabbos, he says, but it looks like it's okay. My impression here is that, uh, that for, for Shabbos um, to, to use the suvi because it's not Hatmona, therefore it would be okay to leave it uh, on Erev Shabbos to on going to Moshe Shabbos. No. One of the wonderful things of sharing Barabim is that if I make a mistake, so someone can correct me. So that's wonderful. So here, also one of our listeners uh, in America who listened to this year online um, called me out on this, uh, on this uh, which again was the discussion two weeks ago. Are you allowed to carry in the front of the house in this area, which has got three walls? You got the the door of the house, and you got the walls to either side. And I'd mentioned about putting up a lechi, and I'm a bit embarrassed because we're just learning the Gemara. We've just been learning about this, and we learned the Gemara. Obviously, I wasn't thinking Lamaisa. There's a difference in halacha between the the um, the heterim for mavui and heterim for chotzer. A mavui means an alley of which there are chatseris, of which there are houses. And then you go to chatser, where the houses are kind of open onto the chatser. And the, the guidelines for chatser and the guidelines for movoy are different. So a movoy, which opens up to the main road, there the halacha is taka, that it's enough to have one pole. And you can see that orange thing is a lechi. It's a, it's a vertical pole of 10 fochim high. And that is enough for a for a movoy, but a chotzer 
It's not enough to have a lechi. You'd have to have either a panel of four tfochim wide on the fourth side, on the open side, or a lechi on both sides. So I stand or sit corrected that what I said one lechi would be enough. I was wrong. It's you'd need to have actually a pole on either side um, to be able. As if, that's why I drew two poles. Um, copy and paste, so to be, to, to be allowed to do so, and that's where you have this quote from the Alter Rebbe Shukhan Aruch in Simon Sheen Samach Gimel, on the handout sheet, I wrote Reish Samach Gimel, made one mistake, brought another mistake, but that's the Halach in Sheen Samach Gimel, the dinim of Erevin, so you have that to be allowed to carry in this area, you'd have to have a lechi on both sides. Let's go on to our next uh, question. Okay, so someone asked a question about making a prayer, one of our listeners actually also from America, about praying for a guy. Now I must share with you a story with Rabbi Telsner that um, one of his regulars or not regulars came and it was one of those um, big match days. And he wanted to, I don't know, it was Spurs or Arsenal or Chelsea, but one of them, he wanted to make a Misha Beirach that his chosen team should, um, should win the, uh, the game. Uh, I'm one miser to another. I remember the late uh, Rabbi uh, Dr. Sachs was asked a similar type of question. What happens if you pray for a team to win? And the other win, to, the other team um, wins the tournament. So uh, he his said uh, perhaps God was a fan of the other side. That was his reaction. But uh, coming back to the story with Rabbi Telsner, so someone wanted to make a Misha Beirach in Shul, that um, it was Spurs rather than Arsenal, um, that, that the, 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 his chosen team should have, uh, should have, uh, you know, whatever the words were. And so Rabbi Telsner, in his wisdom, said that by the Torah, you make a Mishabeirach, something which is shaykhis for Torah. But something which is not to, not to do with Torah, that's, you, that doesn't belong to make a Mishabeirach over there. Which is a very wise answer. And actually, we do in shuls that make a bracha for the Melech, but that's made not Mishas Kriya Satorah, it's made after Kriya Satorah. But meanwhile, this was the question, when you make a bracha, when you make a prayer for a goy, why do you use, and I, um, do you use the mother's name or the father's name? And there was a clip which was circulated recently before the American elections. Obviously, this is why the question came up. People wanted to make a special Misha uh, Beirach. Perhaps they got it wrong. Um, now, so, so it was circulated that the Rebbe had answered Rabbi Shemtev of Philadelphia that um, he asked for a brocha for a particular a uh, person, one of the presidents, and the Rebbe told him to add the, the, the father's name. So there's this thing that we, we know that we give the, when, when we make a Mishabeirach for a Yid, we use the mother's name. So what's the Cheshbin by, by, a, by a Goy to use the father's name? And I must say, on the sheet which I gave out on, on Thursday, Friday, I didn't know the answer. And on Shabbos, I, last night, I, it's a long night, I took out, there's a safe book called Ziv HaShemes from Rabbi Shai Zusha Wilhelm. Um, all about names, and I found there a reference to this Sefer, which you have in front of you. The Sefer is called Gevul Yehuda, um, from Rav Tzirolson. Rav Tzirolson, I think he was killed in the Holocaust. He was a Lubavitcher Hasid, and he was the Rav in Kishinov, in Moldavia. Um, 
published several Sforim. And here he doesn't address our question, but he addresses the question of why we make a Mishabeirach with the mother's name. And he says the following, when you call up, what happens if a child, if a, if a man has got a, does not have a Jewish father, it's a Jewish mother, not a Jewish father. So then one of the ways to do it is to use the maternal grandfather. So you have in the Gemara, um, Rabbo Bar Bar Chono. His father wasn't Jewish. The whole story behind it, his grandma, his, 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 his mother's father was called Chono, so he's called Rabba Barbar Chono. And so we have sometimes you'll use the, the maternal gr grandfather's name um, for Ali Alotaira. When it comes to Tfila, using a grandfather's name would not be good enough for Tfila because by a Tfila you want to be absolutely clear whom you're davening for. And that's why says in the Zohar why we use the mother's name for clarity. So you need to identify who you're calling up. And in some places, even they, they don't even call up by name. They just say, etc. There it's an union of identity. So it's a more a practical thing. When it comes to a tefillah, you want to be very, very clear who the tefillah is for. Now, what would happen if we would be davening for people with their father's name? And then there's someone who is such a situation, he doesn't have a father's name. So they'll be very embarrassing. A regular person, you're calling, you're, you're saying a Mishabeach with the father's name. Ah, no, 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 him, no, no, he's a, no, no, he can't call the father's name. No, it's very embarrassing. And so in order to avoid that predicament or the avoid that embarrassment, therefore, says the Absurd son, Shaloy Levayesh, they made it standard. When it comes to davening for someone, you always use the mother's name. That's how he explains why you use the mother's name, which is a new uh, take on the Zohar to avoid a, a Sophic. Doesn't necessarily mean that every person you have a Sophic, whether his father is his, his father, but there may be other situations where it's not so clear and so to not to embarrass. So we always use the 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 mother's um, the father. Sorry, for for Tefillah we use the mother's name. This now this now this is Adkan Harab Sirilson. And now this is what I thought, and you can always demolish it afterwards. You can send me a few chats if you want, or afterwards. By a yid, there is this dilemma. There could be a, that he's a yid, and he doesn't have a father's name, because the halacha is that he doesn't. His father is not his father, but his biological father, his father. By a goy, there is no such thing. Always his father is his father, and therefore there's no question of. Normally, yichus works in how do you say patronymic, patrilineal. That's a, a yichus apitoyer by yidin lahavdal by goyim. That's the correct way of yichus. So, as I say, by a yid, there might be a the biological father may not be his father lahalocha, and therefore we use the mother's name. A goy, his biological father is his father lahalocha, uh, and therefore by a goy we use the father's name. Now, can you about ma making a mishabeirach for a goy? So, I, again, I was, uh, where do I look for such a thing? <laughs> Which foreign talk about giving Mishabeach for Goyim? So, um, I have actually a set of three Sforim called Bein Yisroel L'Nochri. So I looked up there and they understood Geholfen that there's a Sefer, he gives a, a, a reference to a Sefer, which I checked up, a Sefer called Arugas Haboisim. Arugas Haboisim with the Rav in Selim. Selim, actually, in, is, is the Yiddish name for the town. I perhaps I mentioned that the Shia recently. It's a town in Hungary or somewhere around there. And the Goyim called it, I don't know, High Cross or something. The Yidden called it Salem. And if you'd send a letter by post, it would arrive. You'd write Salem. Then the Goyim knew that the Yidden called this town Salem. So one of the Rabonim, 
prominent Rabbonim there was the uh, who wrote to say Baruga Saboisim, and he asked the following story. It was a Hanukkah party, and there were a bunch of Yitna sitting around, and it looks like at some stage during the party, they started giving brochus and mishabeirachs for everyone. There happened to be also amongst them in a the small town, there was a Goyesha lawyer, and he says, you have to understand the influence, the power this lawyer would have in that community. And uh, therefore, when they were going around giving mishabeirachs, so they came to him, and so someone made a mishabeirach for the, uh, for the, for the, for the um, solicitor, and then someone else made a whole fuss, I don't know, later or then. So then they wrote a letter to Rav, um, Rav Greenwald, the Arugas Habushim, and he writes it, and really it's a poshat and a, 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 a answer. the whole tshuva is full with tremendous goinus, the chayra for a petty thing, but he, he goes through the whole thing. And he says, you can't do a mishabeach habiseinu, Abraham Yitzchak of Yaakov for a Omer for a for an Ochre. It doesn't make sense. But on the other hand, to embarrass him, so you could make another Nusuch. You'd say, has Tsur Tom in Poloi, and you'll find some some other Nusuch. You can give him a Bracha. And he goes, he mentions about when he's saying benching, you know, there's those two words where if there's an Ochre in the room, so you add the words Bnei Bris to exclude an Ochre. So in one bracha to include Yidin and Lahavdil, uh, Umasoilum, and wouldn't include them in one bracha. But to give an Ochre a bracha on his own, that would be, but that, that's okay. And he says, but not to use the Nusuch of a Mishabeirach, instead use the expression of Hatsur Tomim Poloi or something similar. Um, Rabbi Lavitansky is asking us, why is it Minik Chabad to mention the mother by Yizker? Yeah, it's a, a, a question, and uh, I've thought about this, but it's nicht um, verjetzt. Now, someone asked, oh, we're not here yet. We have here a question of, question eight was, a, a wedding photographer took a non-refundable deposit for a function. Due to the lockdown, the event was cancelled. Is a refund in order? So the customers are coming to this photographer. You've taken a non-refundable deposit and now um, give, give us the money back. I don't know whether they understood what the word non-refundable means, but okay, that was, that was, that's the reality. So I am I'm going, again, I'm going to admit that Khoshan Mishpat is not my forte. Uh, so I called up someone who does specialize in Khoshan Mishpat. And there is, there is a lot of discussion about this. You employed someone uh, for a specific job, and then for the circle, the circle, let's say you employed someone to water the field, and it happens to be that there was a rain, you don't need him anymore. So there's a, there's a, a one of the rules in this discussion is, should he have anticipated that there might be rain, or should he not have anticipated? If it was an un, totally unanticipated what we would call a spanner in the works, then the worker has more entitlement to be um, compensated for his time. If it was something which the worker should have anticipated, then he has less claim for, for um, compensation. Another very important point in this story is, as you have the English expression, possession is nine-tenths of the law, and the Hebrew uh, equivalent is, that the photographer has the money in his account, it's going to be harder to pull that money out of their account unless you've got very solid proof. Now, the dying who I spoke to, he said, when did they book this photographer? If it was after March, with all the, and certainly later, with all the lockdowns and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, the restrictions. So then 
it's uh, it's one cannot say that the customer should not have anticipated a lockdown of sorts. There were already restrictions in the air, and therefore, when they gave the non-refundable deposit, and they did not stipulate if there is a lockdown, I um, I insist that you'll re reimburse me. Then they have they have waived that, and they, they have they've consciously let themselves into this. And uh, uh, in addition to this, the the photographer says, "Listen, by all means, I, I'm, I'm, I'll I'll rebook, I'll reschedule, I'll come to you, when you, you later. So why why do you want a refund?" So. So basically, the position was if the booking was taken at a time, the re sorry, if the deposit was given at a time where a lockdown was kind of on the horizon to some degree, then they are not entitled for a uh, for a refund. Someone's mentioning that Avram Davin Favi Melech, especially when the Abisha told him to, um, right. Okay, let's move on then to the next thing. We last week we spoke something about soups, and so someone asked the question: What about the carrot in chicken soup? Do you make a bracha on the carrot in chicken soup? Obviously, again, because uh, you're having the chicken soup for Sunday lunch, as we said. The name is Parinus in Kula Yoime. Shabbos feeds for your whole week. I've said this, this joke already three times, getting stale. Okay, so now, um, does the carrot in the soup require a brocha, a separate brocha? So here we have a piece from the Mishnah Brura, and he says if you've got vegetables and meat which are vying for the position that they are giving the taste for the soup, so the, we, the meat wins. The meat is more ikir than the vegetables. And therefore, the bracha, the bracha of pure vegetable soup, even if you're not having any vegetables, just the soup, the bracha is hardoma. But if it's a vegetable and meat soup, then the bracha is shahakal because the meat wins against the vegetables in saying, I am the flavor of the soup. That's the, the, the dominant flavor. Then the Mr. Brura adds, if you're eating the vegetables with the soup, Obviously, not 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 with the Muhammadzi. Then he says you, you don't have to make a bracha separately. But da oi da hayere gufe bevadei loynase tofel lahabosor kibem shebol lemozin vlusoyva primigodim. So Mr. Bruce says if you're eating that carrot to fill you, because you want to have food, not just liquid, then you'd have to make a bracha on the carrot uh, separately. Now. The Ebershter helps that there are, since the Mishnah Brewer, there are other Malaktim, and I've got actually the Dirshu edition, where he quotes from Reb Shlomo Zalman and others, and they, who maintain that if the vegetable was clearly there just to flavor the soup, it wasn't, the, 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 the vegetables were not there to give you, to fill you. They were put into the soup to flavor the soup, then you don't need to make a separate brocha on the on the vegetables, they are like you don't make a brocha on the raisins in a fruit cake. So the same thing, you don't make a brocha on the vegetables, which are there just to flavor the soup. Interesting, the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe holds that on, on onions, cooked onions, you make shahakal. On a, on a raw onion, you make hoadomo. And the Alter Rebbe says, because people don't cook onions, alpiroiv, roiv use of onions, people use onions in soup to flavor the soup, not to eat the onions themselves. Onions themselves, it would be more in the raw form. And to quote the later Rav Ashkenazi, 
Um, why is it our minic to use onions for karpas? Well, this is kind of spitzy stick, as you say, because the onion is the world, so then a raw onion is a, is a shahakal. And the elder beholds that the raw onion is is a domo, so chsidim dafka take a raw onion to because Kevin Denofi mipumid ravkane by Chabad and a raw onion is is a domo. That's why chsidim chose to use onions for karpas. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so then I was I gave a shear to the boys in the mechina in the yeshiva ktanas that ever called it, and one of the boys asked a question. What is the case of a, uh, a smoothie which has got crushed biscuits? A naya chiddush that you have, uh, that you take a, a brisket and you, you put it into the blender together and it gives a certain flavor, the biscuit flavor. So, I don't know whether I have it on the thing. No, so it's not. I didn't. I have, don't have the quote here. There, there's a, there's a, the Alter talks about in Shulchan Aruch about the bracha on a soup made with with grain, a barley soup, you, and you're just having the soup without the barley. And perhaps that's Yundafke made it. He says, why don't you make a bracha mezainus on beer? Beer is made with grain. The Altarebbe says you, you, you don't, you make a broch, a misoinus on a food, not on a drink. And so, although it's not exactly identical, but I, I, I think it, it, one should extend the same, that when you have a mixture, and this is a halacha, that the misoinus always becomes the dominant feature. If there's a mixture, it becomes a dominant one, almost always, and you'd make a broch on the mezoin. Let's say if you'd make a lokshin soup, which means you cook the lokshin together with the soup, you'd make a mezoinus on it, because the lokshin becomes the dominant feature. But here, if it's not a meichel, it's just a drink. Smoothies, l'chayr is a drink. So therefore, I, I can't, I, I, I think you have to make a shahakal, although I don't have a solid proof for that. So this is, if you want to look it up, the Alter Rebbe is in Simeresh Dalad, Siv Dalad, that you don't make a bracha mezoinus only on a bachel, not on a drink. I think I mentioned this perhaps in one of the shiurim. I once asked the Dainz Friedman, what's the guideline, what's a drink and what's a food? I was asking about if you dip, if you dip, let's say, a breadstick, which is a mezoinus, and you dip it into a yogurt, do you make a, do you have to go and dip, wash your hands because of a tibula b'mashke? And he, he said a definition, which I later saw, I think, in Morgan Avram, that what's a food and what's a drink? If you have to be mahapich beloshen, when you put it down your mouth, do you have to, how do you say, manipulate with your tongue to be able to swallow it? That's called a food. If you just pour it straight down, so then it's, uh, then it's called a, a mashke. No, that's also mean for the parashas hashavua. Yeah, tomorrow's uh, chitas. The lentil soup, is it a maichel or a mashke? No, I think I remember. I think the Rebbe, Rebbe said once the Melamdim would say about the vayoychal that he gets on a broche on on a yamelke the whole the whole spiel. I remember the Rebbe once chazing by Fabrengen. The Mistama Esav didn't make a broche, says not negel amaisa, but soup is 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 a is a drink. It's not a not a uh, food. And uh, therefore, the brocha on the soup is a shahakal, and I think the brocha on that smoothie would also be a shahakal. Then the next question, which we have here, question 11, 
is what about an ice cream? No, it's it's uh, you know So now you have ice cream which has got um, pieces of biscuit, chopped up biscuit into the ice cream. No, so what's the what's the what's the score there? What's the bracha? Is it shahakal or is it mezoynis or is it two brachas? Now the sack about an ice cream cone is to make two brachas. To say that the ice cream is the ikir, everyone understands that. But the halacha is that that mezoynis doesn't become toffel. So to make a mezoynis on an ice cream cone, it just doesn't make sense. And therefore, the psak, which you can see many for him, and I think Rav Marlow also, Allah Shalom, and he, 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 he once gave a, uh, he checked through a list of brochas, that the psak would be, you'd make two brochas, an ice cream cone, you'd make a brocha on the ice cream, a shahakal, and a separate brocha on the cone, especially, they say, if the cone is flavored, if it's just a bland flavored, uh, a bland cone, then it would be toffel, but if it's got a flavor to it, so then uh, you'd make a separate brachimazonus on the cone. And so now the ice cream is not toffel to the bits of, uh, to the bits of um, fiestas, the bits of biscuits were floating around, not floating around, it's a bit late. Um, the bits of, bits of biscuits inside, they're not going to dominate the ice cream, especially if they're not cooked with the ice cream, and therefore you'd have to make takatu brachas l'chera. Um, I, I, again, I looked for this. It's Grace Echidish, which hasn't been recorded in Sforim yet. Okay, so then, um, that, but that's that you'd have to make two brachas. Finally, we have the last thing on our list is about the granola bar. And the, this is a very popular kind of uh, food nowadays, these granola bars. And so now we have here what's the issue here? So we have here. A Gomorrah in Brochus, Hakoises, and what's a granola is whole grains. And then they may be rolled, rolled oats or something, but the grains are whole, they're not broken down. So here we have the, the Brice, Hakoises es Hachito, one who, the word Koises literally means to nibble. It's not a normal eating. Hakoises es Hachito, one who's nibbling on grain, on wheat grains, Boyerpiadomo. If you ground it and you cooked it, then you have, if the process kayomois, etc., goes into bread, a hamoitzi, etc., mazoinus, if it's like a chalakugel, something like that, with, with, with bread which is broken down, then it would become uh, mazoinus. Okay. So here, so coming back to our question, what is the broch on the granola bar? Because it's made with whole grains and they are stuck together with a honey and then they're baked as such. So on granola itself, not in a cookie, not in a granola bar. So there the view is generally taken that it's it's hard domo because it's whole grains. But then you go into a whole problem because what brocha chrona, remember sugar puffs, remember Bianco Gulkov Allah saying sugar puffs is, is hard domo. Yeah, he's right. Um, it's hadoma, it's whole grain, a whole wheat. But what's the afterbrocha? It's some say the afterbrocha is bernefoshes. Others say no, it's from Shiva Sabinim. And therefore you have to make, but you can't say because it hasn't been developed into a porridge or anything. 
So therefore, Toysus has a swarage. He say, Alho, Alha, Adomo, Valprio, Adomo. Toysus struggles with it. So the poil, the halochi is that it's better to have, to, to avoid, um, it's better to avoid having whole grains on their own because of this sophic. But if you do have whole, if you have sugar puffs, that's never the only cereal you have available. So then you make a bracha adomo and the after bracha would be bernafoshes. So therefore on granola, for, on, on its own, the bracha would be, uh, as I say, adomo and bernafoshes. Then it can be make more, more, more fun because when there's raisins in it, then it's going to become a maestro with all eights. So they, when people ask me about granola, my advice is take also something like bran flakes, take a kazais of bran flakes together with the granola, then you're going to have the bran flakes as adomo, and then it's all going to become, and the mazoinus will become the dominant one, and it will all become mazoinus. But here we're not talking about cereals, we're talking here about a granola bar. No. So the, this quote which you have over here, is from the Alter Rebbe's Siddur Seder Birchasanen. And so let's, we have now a couple of minutes. If I go two minutes over it, you have to be Meichelmi. If not, you know, sorry. One doesn't say Mezoinus on grain, nor Me'en Sholosh, only when you eat it in the normal way, which is that it's made into flour, or even if it was not made into flour, if the dog and if the grain was broken into three, two or three parts, and it was cooked, in water or other liquids. That's called daiso, that's called porridge, kasha. Even if it wasn't cooked, sorry, even if it wasn't broken, like bulgur is broken, cracked wheat, even if it wasn't broken, but it's it's been hulled, the, the, and the darker halo, it's been hulled, that means the outer husk has been removed, and it's normal to eat it cooked. It looks like a barley, um, a barley uh, cooked barley. Others say, Some maintain that it only becomes mezoinous when it's stuck together because it got mushy through the cooking and then it became mushy and got stuck together. So some say, so again, if you have loose barley grains, so the first opinion says that's mezoinous. The second opinion says... The second opinion says that it has to be mushed and stuck together. The, the, the dilemma here with the, with the, um, with the uh, granola bars, that they're not, they're not mushed and stuck together through cooking. They are stuck together with honey or syrup, but they are stuck together. And the view which I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with and I can show you in the next slide is to say, I know that there are those who disagree, but that's uh, which I'm comfortable with, and that's why I'm sharing it with you. This is a sefer called Share Habrocha, and he has Ugiot Granola, and he says it's made from various um, grains, etc., and you should make a mezoinus, and although it's better to have them during a meal, and the afterbrocha is alamichyo, and in his notes, he brings here the svaras, and the, what I my 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 um, the gist of it here, what he's writing here is that it's been made into a food. It's not like eating loose grains. It's actually been transformed into a food. It's it's served that way. It's not just like koisus as achita. Perhaps that's why I emphasize koisus means you're just nibbling. Here, it's actually been made into a food. So. Okay, so the broch is 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 alham is is very mezainus, very minimizainus. 
Now then, what bothered me for years was, if it's take very minimizones, so you've got these Jordan, Jordan um, granola bars, what happens with, with the pas akum? If it's a biscuit made by, by a Goisha factory, it needs to be pas Yisrael. And the way I'm looking over here is it's not pas. It doesn't fall into the category of pas because it has not been broken down into flour. So imagine it is grains. Imagine it's like a porridge. A porridge is mezoinus. It's a food. It's a it's a it's a derech achilosoi. So therefore, I'm taking the liberty to say, based upon on the what he's writing, also give me the support that the 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 uh, Jordan bar is it's a derech achilosoi, but it's not a pass. It's not a bread, and therefore it doesn't fall into the category of requiring um, pass Israel. And um, so I know that many people are, are using this, and so therefore I felt it was. Could uh, I to address it? Yechlu Anovim and Jordan Bars for Yisbo, and I wish you all a good tovoch. And uh, um, as I said before, it's enjoyed the it's drawing the Kinnus Hashluchim, and we've seen some wonderful um, presentations of what's been going on all around the world. Uh, you know what? I'm going to finish off with one one word. I didn't want to say it before because I didn't want to take out time from our, our guest Shluchim, and, um, but that word of the Rebbe. Where he talks about, and this was published for this week, he talks about the Menoira. And you light the Menoira, Al Pesach Besame Bachutz. And if every Yid lights the Menoira, Al Pesach Besame Bachutz, so he says, So you have Kola Goyle Lefon of Kimaduras Esh. And he's quoting the mission in Rosh Hashanah. With the, when the times when they used to uh, announce the new month, and they would go and how would they relay the message? To Bovel, so they would go on. So they would have on, on, a, on a mountain top a light of a, a, a beacon, and they would sway the beacon up and down, and then the next mountain, the next mountain, until the mountain which was closest to Bovel, and everyone in Bovel would in there would go to their rooftop, and this is how, and they would they were looking out for the beacon, and they would light their own beacon, and they would so up and moiluch or maybe milo or moirid. And the one who was on the last mountain, he would see towards Bobel, the whole goyla is like a Madura sesh, like one big bonfire. Imagine you've got these thousands of people standing on their rooftops. And, and so the Rebbe uses that for a um, inspiration for the, if every yid lights his menoida, it's kola goyla lafon of kemadura sesh. I want to take it a little bit further and say the fact you have a finster welt out there and you have shluchim and each one is is making bright in his corner. So then the, the word and the word Maduro, the word Maduro comes from the mother of a dwelling because the, the Maduro would be built like a box. The bonfire would be built like a box shape as if there's a little, little room inside. So the Maduro comes from the lotion of, of, of Dira. So kola goyla of the whole goyla, the whole Hanukkah became become out of oppression. But all of this spreading out, this Tfutsis Agoyla, and all lit up and become bright, Kola Goyla Lefon of Kemaduras Eish, and we should be returned to Eretz HaKodesh, with Moshiach Sitkenu, and Vani Eya Lo, Choymas Eish Soviv, Vimheir Vyomeinu Mamash. L'chaim, L'chaim. Amen, L'chaim. L'chaim, L'chaim. L'chaim, Good luck, everybody. A good to work. A good to work. A good to work. A good to work. A good to work.